Welcome to the Sermon Podcast of Redeemer Church. Redeemer Church is located in Fate, Texas, and her mission is to share the gospel, shape disciples, and send missionaries into the surrounding communities and across the globe. We hope that this week's message will bring glory to God by building you up and results in you looking more and more like Jesus himself. a special time you know in a couple of weeks we'll be baptizing here at Redeemer and um, you know the, the the hope and desire is that as we commit ourselves to raising our kids in this way before God that at some point we keep stacking wood in their souls and at some point God lights the fire and they come to know him as their savior and so we get to celebrate that in a few weeks here at Redeemer as well so hope you can join us for our baptism service on September 10th. If you're a guest with us, my name's Shannon. I'm one of the pastors here at Redeemer. We're glad that you've joined us today. Uh, normally in our service, this is the time where we dismiss our kids uh, fourth grade and under, but they're gonna be in big church this morning with us the entire time, and so buckle your seatbelts. Um, it might be a little noisier in here, but that's okay, all right? Um, kids make noise, and that's what they do, and that's gonna be all right. But it's a very fitting time for them to be in here with us this morning as we take a look at this passage in Colossians chapter three, verses 20 and 21. We've been working our way through the book of Colossians together. Last, last two weeks, we took a look at uh, Paul's call to husbands and to wives within the home of how they ought to treat one another, respond to each other as we worked our way through Colossians, how they ought to live their faith out in the context of the husband-wife relationship. Today, we turn our attention to how our faith gets lived out in the parent-child relationship. And so I invite you to turn with me to Colossians chapter three, verses 20 to 21. Uh, actually, I'll pick up in verse 17 and read down through verse 21 because it sets a little context for us before we jump into what Paul says to parents and kids. Colossians chapter three, beginning in verse 17, we'll read down through verse 21 together. If you don't have a copy in front of you, it'll be on the screen behind me. If you wanna follow along there, please do so. Paul writes these words, Colossians three, verse 17, and whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. This is God's word. You know, oftentimes whenever we're listening to a musical performance and there's multiple vocalists on the stage together, you might have one vocalist who is singing the melody and another vocalist who is singing the harmony. Right? And whenever those two things are working together and they're in tune and on pitch, it's a beautiful experience. It creates like chords with a voice uh, that are very pleasing to the ear. It creates a depth and a richness in the music that would not be there otherwise. Whenever the melody is on pitch and the harmony is on pitch, it's a beautiful thing to listen to as those simultaneous notes are being sounded together. However, we've all probably had that experience as well where we've sat in a musical performance and we've heard somebody who's singing the melody and maybe they're a little flat or they're a little sharp and somebody's singing a harmony, maybe they're a little flat and they're a little sharp. And so rather than those notes working together, they're working against each other. The technical term for that is dissonance, but basically what it means is those two notes are duking it out, okay? They're fighting against each other. They're not complimenting each other. They're working against each other. 
And so that's the reality. We've all experienced that musically whenever those notes don't work together. But the same is true, church, in the context of relationships. There could be relational dissonance just like there is musical dissonance. And, and perhaps there can be relational harmony just in the same way that there is musical harmony. When there's relational harmony, there's a dynamic within the context of relationships where there is unity, right? There is uh, agreement, there is the working together in those relationships, each one fulfilling its individual responsibility. In other words, you might say the relationships are in tune and they're on pitch with one another, right? If you wanna use that musical analogy and carry it forward. However, in some relationships, just like whenever musically someone is off pitch, they're either a little flat or a little sharp, relationally there can be dissonance as well in the context of relationships where there's discord and there's friction and there's strife when they're not in tune or on pitch relationally. And we can experience that in all all, all sorts and types of relationships, can't we? But perhaps there's no greater distress, there's no greater pain than whenever you experience relational dissonance within the home between parents and children. It can be heartbreaking at times for parents. It can be frustrating for children. And so in our text this morning, in a couple of short but very powerful sentences, the Apostle Paul basically says what hundreds, if not thousands of books that have been published and are out there right now to be purchased on Amazon, right? What they have tried to say in whole volumes of works he, about parenting, he says in two short sentences, very succinct, very to the point, and he makes it very clear. I want you to hear what one New Testament scholar said about this. He said, sometimes, right, verse 20 children obey your parents, has been overemphasized in verse 21, forgotten. In the zeal of parents, right, not to spare the rod lest they spoil the child. And some of the children are like, A to the men, right? right that's been a little, little overemphasized. Others, others would say sometimes verse 21, he says, has been overstressed to the rights of the individual child allowed to roam free range like chickens trampling the rights of family and friends and neighbors and anyone else in the way for fear that the young life might be crushed or twisted. And some of the parents say, A to the men, right? But Paul strikes a balance because both sides are necessary. Children need discipline and so do parents. Right? Children need instruction and so do parents. And so this morning, we want to unpack these two short but real powerful verses or sentences in our time together and see how faith in Christ, that if my life is hidden with God in Christ, that if I belong to him, I'm this new creation that God has made in me. I've placed my confidence in Jesus. How does that work itself out in the home between parents and children? And so first, we want to take a word to the kids, all right? And some of you probably heard this verse in your home. Some of your parents probably have it on repeat, okay? But it's this, obey your parents. That's the word to the children in this text. Obey your parents. In verse 20, the apostle Paul says, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Now, we have to ask ourselves the question, who are these children that he's referring to? Most likely, these children are folks who are old enough to understand the difference between obedience and disobedience, 
Okay, so they're old enough to recognize when mom or dad says this and I do it, I'm being obedient. When mom or dad says this and I don't do it, I'm being disobedient. So they're old enough to recognize that distinction, but they're also young enough to still be under the protection and provision of their parents, still living under their roof or in their home. Now, we have to do a little work here because the ancient family is a little different than the modern family with regards to who lives in the home. Okay, in the ancient world, it was almost like a small apartment complex sometimes where they just, as people got married, they just made another addition, built on another room for the husband and wife to live in and raise their family as they were multi-generational homes that they lived in. And in that culture, you would have all these generations together under one home, but even at that point, whatever a husband took a wife and they were married, at that point, they were no longer under the provision and protection of their parents at whatever age that took place. But in our context, kids at some point move out. At least we hope, (laughs) right? At some point they move out and they start their own families in their own homes. So this means, I think in our context, the word to children here would be to those who are currently living under the protection and provision of their parents. So in our context, let's say they're ages three, Right? They, by the time they understand, mom says do this, or dad says do this, I can disobey or I can obey, I know what the difference is between those two things, to 18, roughly, <laughs> right? Living under the protection and provision of a parent. As long as that is the case, then the call to children, how many children do we have in here, who, by the way, who are between ages three and 18? Raise your hand, all right? So Paul's talking to you. All right? Obey your parents, he says. This is why you hear some parents say, as long as you live under my roof, you will live by what? My rules, right? And they rightly say that because of the call that God places on children of how they live out their faith in Jesus in the context of their home. Now, once you're no longer under their protection, no longer under their provision, right? They're not buying your groceries anymore. They're not paying your cell phone bill anymore. They're not putting gas in your car anymore, right? They're not uh, uh, paying for your orthodontic work anymore. They're not, man, it adds up quick, don't it? Right, they're not, they're no longer under, you're no longer under their provision and no longer under their protection. They're not providing the roof over your head, those types of things, right? Then honor and respect is still due to them, but the reality is it may not necessarily be obedience. Right, protection and provision is who he's talking to. There's a lot of you in here this morning, so I'm gonna keep going. So the words in everything, right, they don't leave any wiggle room for you, by the way. And we'll talk a little bit more about that here in a moment. But they don't leave any wiggle room. It's, it, Paul's not taking into account every situation that might manifest itself in the home, okay? He's assuming that as he addresses the church, that those individuals he's talking to, those parents are going to seek to be raising their children in ways that are consistent with the teachings of Scripture. And so whenever your parents ask you to do something, then you do it, you obey. So the words in everything, right, in the Greek, it literally means in everything, okay? Right, there's, doesn't give an exception clause there. And so whenever your parent tells you to be honest and tell the truth, then you don't what? Lie, just because you're afraid of the consequences. When your parent tells you to clean your room because there may be small woodland creatures who have nested in the corner underneath all the clothes and trash there, right, what do you do? You go clean your room. 
Okay? Now, what that doesn't mean is you just take everything, the pile, and you shift it into a closet or under a bed where they can't see it anymore. You actually pick it up and throw it away or put it away. When your parent tells you to do your chores, right, whether you're unloading the dishwasher or loading the dishwasher, taking out the trash, sweeping the floor, whatever your chores are in the home, dusting, right, you go and do those things. Whenever your parent asks you to help others in the home or they ask for help in the home. See, here's the reality. It's whatever your parent asks you or tells you to do, right, you are to obey in everything. Treating others with kindness, apologizing when necessary. That's a hard one sometimes for kids, right? I'm sorry. (laughs) That's typically how it goes, right? We've had that conversation many times in our homes, right? That's not a real apology, Right, doing your schoolwork, when it comes to the rules around bedtime or around screen time or around shower time, which you must take if you live in my home, right? particularly, particularly, particularly once you hit puberty, okay? Right, around those things, right? right that's, they, they are asking or telling you to do something that's not inconsistent with the teaching of Scripture and you submit to that and you obey. And here's why, kids, because the way you respond to your parents reflects your heart toward the Lord. It reflects your disposition, your heart towards God himself. God has said, obey your parents, and whenever you disobey your parents, who ultimately are you disobeying? God himself. God himself. Now, what Paul says, this pleases the Lord. It pleases the Lord. I just want to say this real briefly. Listen, this relational note, if you want to think of it that way, of obedience, it's fitting for those whose lives are hidden with God and Christ. What that means is if you're a Christian, this is the way God desires you to conduct your affairs in the home towards your parents. Those who call themselves believers, those who have stepped forward to place and profess their faith in Christ, those who've been baptized, Right? In the same way that God says it's fitting for those who walk with Jesus, wives to submit themselves to their husbands and husbands to love their wives and not be harsh with them, for children, it's fitting for them to obey their parents. And this is important, kiddos, and listen, here's why. Because through this, right, you're developing a reflex. How many of you guys have ever been to the doctor before? right? Been to the doctor, all right? Sometimes whenever you go in for your annual checkup, your well-child visit, and you sit up on that big bench there in the doctor's office, and he takes a little hammer, okay, with a rubber mallet on the end. Hopefully it's not metal, right? Or like a sledgehammer, a five-pound hammer, but a little rubber mallet, and what does he do? He hits your knee right here on your kneecap, and what happens whenever he hits your knee? If your body is working like it's supposed to, what happens? kicks out, doesn't it, right? He has a reflex. There's a reflex right there. So you've experienced that before. And as you learn to obey your parents, you're developing a reflex for how you will respond to God-ordained authorities in your life, right? Including, and most importantly, to God himself. Because listen, if your parents are Christians in the room this morning, here's what they don't want to happen whenever you're 25, okay? <laughs> Right? They're not trying to raise a child who's gonna be dependent upon them forever. They're trying to raise a child while God has entrusted you to them so that as you launch out on your own, as you step out on your own, you know what it means to submit to authority, in particular to God's authority, so that whenever he says, you do. 
when he convicts you of sin that you repent, when he encourages you to grow, that you step forward on that path of growth and you walk with him, right? Because they don't wanna have to hold your hand like they did whenever you were two and trying to learn to take your first steps when you're 30. Right? They want, at some point, you're gonna be out from under their authority while you still honor and respect them and perhaps defer to them on many occasions. You're gonna be out from underneath their authority, but guess whose authority you're still gonna be under? God's. And so as you obey your parents, you're developing this reflex right, that will serve you for the rest of your life. For the rest of your life. Now, you may ask the question, what about abusive parents? I don't think that's what Paul has in mind here, but let me say a word about that. First and foremost, they're gonna be accountable to God for the way that they treat their children. They will have to give an answer to him. Second, if an abusive parent asks you to do something that is right, then you do it. Third, if an abusive parent asks you or tells you to do something that is immoral or illegal, you report it to the authorities who can do something about it. That's not what, so that's not what Paul has in view here. He has in view the picture of a Christian home in which children are being nurtured, cared for, and loved, and disciplined. But there are those exceptions in which things are not healthy in the family relationship, and those things need to be escalated and reported to authorities who can do something about it. So children, obey your parents. What about the word to parents? Here's what Paul says to parents, discipline and encourage your children. Discipline and encourage your children. Now, you may say the text says fathers. It's only a word to fathers. Not so fast, my friend, right? The Greek word for fathers in the text Right, it's used elsewhere in the book of Hebrews to refer to parents of both sexes, okay? Both male and female. In Hebrews eleven twenty three, by faith Moses' parents, it's the same word there that's used in Colossians 3, hid him for three months after he was born. In fact, the standard Greek dictionary for the New Testament says that this word in Colossians and in Ephesians more than likely, so the overwhelming evidence is that it's referring to both parents, not just to the fathers, But in the ancient world, the fathers would have ruled the household in a very patriarchal way. And so the primary responsibility would have fallen on them. In our culture, the responsibility perhaps falls on both, men and women in the home, to discipline and encourage their children. Now why do I say discipline and encourage? If you look at the text, the word to parents is this, do not provoke your children. That word provoke literally means this, to stir up or to agitate, okay? Like the, like the old school washing machine, okay? Right, not these high tech, high efficiency, new washing machines, right? But in the old school washing machines, you had this big cylinder in the middle called the agitator, right? And you'd put the clothes in, put the detergent in, it would fill with water, and then you would turn on the machine, and that thing would just spin in, in the middle, agitating, mixing up the clothes constantly. Right, that's what Paul has in view here, that something is being agitated, somebody is being challenged. Right? 
They're being irritated or incited or quarreled or fought with. In fact, the lengthy paraphrase of one dictionary says it this way, to cause someone to react in a way that suggests acceptance of a challenge. Right? Whenever you continue to press and to press and to press and to press in ways that are unhelpful as parents, your children either buckle under the challenge or they rise up to the challenge and they become a mess. And every child may be agitated, it may be stirred up by something different. And listen, this is not only between families, because some families would be like, well, they get to, hmm, you fill in the blank, right? Or this person gets to, why don't we get to, okay? So maybe between families, but sometimes also within families. If you have more than one kid, you know there are certain things that agitate each one of them that provoke each one of them, that stir each one of them up. And so here, the, 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 the concept here is that of, of, of provoking your children. Now, let me, let me just say a brief word here. What shouldn't provoke your children? <laughs> and kids, I want you to listen up to this one, okay? We're gonna get to what should here in a second, but what shouldn't, should not provoke your children? Expecting obedience should not provoke your children. Requiring them to help around the home and do some chores should not provoke your children. Telling them when to wash up and come eat a meal with the family at the table should not provoke your children. Making them go to bed at a reasonable time for their age should not provoke your children. Telling them no should not provoke your children, correcting them when they are wrong, exercising discipline when they disobey, or teaching them the things of God should not provoke your children. What should provoke your children? I hear parents, I want you to listen up. A critical spirit. A critical spirit. In other words, when, you're, when you can always find something wrong with what they've done. A harsh tone and the way, abrasive speech, neglect, failing to lean in emotionally, spiritually, or physically be present. Whenever you give no instruction in the home but only correction, so a kid has no idea what the expectations are. Whenever you make unreasonable requests or demands. When you always say no. I know always and never are strong words. We try not to use them in our home. Right? But even at simple, innocent requests, it's always no, 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 because it's going to inconvenience you. Make you in, it's going to be, be an inconvenience to you. Giving no leeway for childlikeness. See, there's a difference between disobedience and childlikeness. Okay? When your kids are growing up and in those young stages of life, they're gonna do things because they're children. <laughs> it's a different thing whenever you say, hey, do not jump on the couch. And they just keep jumping and looking at you. <laughs> right? That's disobedience. 
It's something different whenever they have forgotten because they're a child and in their, their, their fervor and excitement, they run into the home and they jump up on the couch and you say, hey, I wanna remind you, we're not supposed to jump on the couch. Right? There's a difference between childlikeness and disobedience and whenever we give no leeway for children to be children, it provokes them, stirs them up, agitates them. Or how about this one, whenever we try to live our lives through them. When we refuse to allow them to be the people that God has created rather than the carbon copies of ourselves or fulfilling our dreams, they got cut short. It provokes them, stirs them up, agitates them when they feel that constant pressure to be just like mom or be just like dad. Or when there's constant comparison to other children. I want you to hear the words of an, an older English author, John Eady. He said this, he said, if children never please their father, if they are teased and irritated by perpetual censure, if they are kept apart by uniform sternness, if other children around them are continually held up as immeasurably their superiors, if their best efforts can only moderate the parental frown, but never are greeted with parental smiles, then their spirit is broken and they are discouraged. If we spend all of our time praising the beauty, beauty or the intellect or the skill or the athleticism or whatever it is of other children, but never affirming those things in our own, they become provoked. All of these things can provoke a child. And there's a connection between provoking them and Paul says discouraging them. He says, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Listen, when children are treated like any one of the above, they can become discouraged hearing continually, both verbally or non-verbally in the cues that they pick up on in their home. They are of little value and they come to believe it. And they respond in one of two ways, either Either they will sink down in obedient self-hatred because they think so low of themselves that they will despise themselves because they can never do anything right. Or they'll overreact with boastful self-assertion. See, when children are provoked continually and constantly, it's not that parents will never gonna provoke them. I know I do. And I, if you're being honest, I know you do too. But when there's consistent, continual provocation, children will either learn to loathe themselves or to love themselves in an unhealthy way by asserting themselves and their will in every instance and in every situation. See, our duty as parents, in effect, is to live out the gospel before our children. Here's what that means, that you assure your children that they are loved and accepted and valued for who they are. Not for who they ought to be, right? Because God doesn't love you for who you ought to be. He loves you for who you are and where you are. He doesn't love you for who you should have been or who you might be if you would only try a little bit harder. He loves you right where you are and who you are. 
Now that doesn't mean that we're not correcting things about our kids' character, that we're not instructing things, giving them instruction about how to handle situations. It's not that we just let them run wild and be whoever they find themselves to be somewhere deep down inside. That's not what we're talking about this morning, okay? What we're saying, what we're saying is this. This is in the same way that God has loved you. As a mother, as a father, you love your children. And rather than being a source of discouragement for them through provocation, you become a source of encouragement to them through your affirmations. You know, it's, the studies have shown, right, you need like an inordinate amount of affirmation for every correction. And so if your children are only hearing correction, 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 and listen, some days as a parent, that's what it feels like, okay? Like, do I have to say it again? Right? Do I have to discipline one more time? But what that means is that we gotta work hard as parents to find those opportunities to affirm and affirm and affirm and affirm. When you see your child acting selflessly toward their sibling, you don't just step back and go, I done good, right? But you lean and you say, I saw that. So encouraged by that. I wanna encourage you. All right, when you see, like last, last, last VBS, we had a, a kid here at Redeemer, not this past summer, the summer before, we were raising funds for our VBS mission. We were raising funds for uh, the refugees who had been displaced by the war in Ukraine. It had just kicked off earlier that spring. And so we had one kid who like shattered his piggy bank, brought all of his money. So I, I, I want to give it to them, right? When you see things like that, you're coming alongside, you're like, fan that flame. There's a tenderness there. I wanna affirm that. And so as parents, we're looking for those types of opportunities to affirm them. And then whenever they fall, whenever they fail, we're not leaning in with a critical spirit and a harsh tone and yelling and comparing them to every other kid on the block who has done it better than they did. But rather we're leaning in with grace and truth, holding them accountable but wrapping them in our arms whether they want to hug us or not. <laughs> I remember when my kids were young and I had to discipline them and we, we to use the language, we didn't spare the rod. We um, exercised that type of punishment in our home. Um, not abusive and over the top, but we did correct them with the rod. But I can remember afterwards, I would sit with my kids and I would talk with them and I would talk to them about how, how better choices they can make in the future. And then I would pray for them that they would. And then I would get up and sometimes they were crying, sometimes I was crying, and I would just give them a hug and say, I love you. No matter, no matter what you've done, I love you. Right? That's the kind of discipline we're talking about. And as they get older, right, it may no longer be appropriate to bend them over your knee. <laughs> right, but as you start enacting other consequences in their life, you can still do the same thing. 
communicate love to them in that moment so that they know they have a, a, a mother and a father on this earth who are aiming with all of their might by God's grace to show the grace and love of their heavenly father to them. So parents, discipline and encourage your children. The third and final thing I'll say this morning is this. Why do we do all this? Right, why do we seek to harmonize, right? Why do kids seek to sing their part and parents seek to sing their part in the context of this relational harmony in the home? And as we've said the last two weeks, I'll go back to it again this week, but we harmonize like this, not for our sake and not for our kids' sake, but for Jesus' sake. See, your relationships with others, especially within the family, they reflect your relationship with the Lord. And if you go back to verse 17 that we read at the outset today, it says this, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. See, once again, there's a flow of thought. Husbands love for Jesus' sake. Wives submit for Jesus' sake. Children obey for Jesus' sake. Parents discipline and encourage for Jesus' sake. This is not, it doesn't terminate on us, but it terminates on him. Ultimately, the obedience that's to be demonstrated by children, the encouragement that's been given by parents and the discipline are done for Jesus' sake. To honor him. To recognize him as the source of our authority so that every word that's spoken in the parent and child dynamic, whether it be parents instructing or correcting or children petitioning, right, Oftentimes we taught our kids whenever they were young, if we said, hey, I need you to do this, or please go do this, they could ask a question, right? They could ask us a question, like why, do I, why does it need to get done now, okay? And that was appropriate. But at the end of the day, if we gave them an explanation and said, I still need you to go do it, they needed to follow through, right? Fair enough, okay? So every word that's spoken, every deed that's done in the parent-child dynamic is ultimately done out of reverence and honor and to glorify Christ. So children, your obedience doesn't just, it goes through your parents to the Lord as the authority that he has set over you in the home at this time. Parents, your discipline and encouragement goes through your children to the Lord because that's your responsibility in the home. So don't let go of that. And by no means, right, get, it's hard not to get lopsided on one of those two, as we said at the outset, to either so emphasize the children's obedience or so emphasize the parental discipline that we lose sight of the other. And so children, as you go, right, those under the provision and protection, three to 18, maybe 19, maybe 20, right, those under the provision and protection of your parents, honor God in the way that you speak and act towards them. And parents, as those accountable to God, honor him in the way that you speak and act towards your kids. If we will, It'll create this harmony, a harmony. That's a beautiful thing to see. 
And so my final question for you is this. Kids, where might you be a little flat or a little sharp in the note that you're singing? Parents, where might you be a little flat or a little sharp in the note that you're singing in your home? What might happen if you brought that note up just a little bit or brought it down just a little bit? Let's be this beautiful harmony to Jesus' glory. I want to pray for us to that end. Father, we thank you so much for your word that gives us such clear instruction on how we're to live our faith out in our homes, on who we're supposed to be as parents and how we're supposed to relate as children. I pray that in our homes there would be a relational harmony I pray that as the melody is sung and the, the, the harmonies are sung, I pray that they would blend together in such a way that create a beauty that would bring you glory. I pray that neither parents nor children would look at the other and say it's their fault. It's their fault that the music of our home is dissonant but they would first and foremost look in the mirror at themselves and remind themselves they have a responsibility. I pray that parents would not provoke and discourage their children and I pray that children would obey their parents to the glory of Christ we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, this is Pastor Shannon, and I want to thank you for tuning in today. I trust that the Lord has spoken to you through His Word, and if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I invite you to trust Him today. If you have questions about what that means, reach out to us through our website, RedeemerRC.com, and one of our pastors will be in touch. In addition, if you would like to partner with Redeemer in her mission to share, shape, and send, you can support our ministry by visiting RedeemerRC.com forward slash give. Now, this podcast is not intended to replace your active participation in the life of a local church, but tune in next week as we continue to lift high the name of Jesus through every paragraph, passage, and page of the Bible.